0: I felt led to continue for one more week this theme of weakness picked up a couple weeks ago when we encountered the Apostle Paul, and he's going through a really hard time in life, lots of insults from his own family, friends, kinsmen. Lots of rejection, lots of trials and persecution that's coming with all of that. Him being a bold minister, apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like Jesus said, there is a suffering that will come with that. If they reject you, they will reject me. If they hate you, they will hate me. And so Paul's experiencing that in some very real and painful ways. And we ask God to take it away. Just make it stop. God's response was this in 2 Corinthians 12:8 My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and that got us onto a, a study of that Idea, those words, this kingdom weakness and strength principle that really you can find it in every hero in the Bible that God calls them to acknowledge and confront your weakness so that the power of God's presence may rest upon you. And so that you become strong, but it's a process of you start weak You give it to God. You let the power of God transform you, renew your mind, empower you, show you things you didn't know, fill you up with the power you didn't know you had, change your perspective on things, bask in his presence. It could be a million different things that God does to take you from weak, fill you up so that by the end, like Paul says, I am strong. What was his weakness became a strength. But there's a process in there, that a journey, if you will, a heroic journey that God is inviting all of us into. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a regular, uh, repeated pattern in a way throughout life as you tackle different areas of your life. And you bring the weakness to God and you let him transform your mind, transform your heart, transform your thoughts, transform your expectations, transform your actions. And you come out on the other side strong. That's where Paul said, so I boast in my weaknesses because I know then the power of God rests upon me and when I am weak, then I am strong. And we, last week we looked at Abraham and Sarai or Abram and Sarai and how God did this incredible demonstration of these, this father and mother of the faith and how their weakness, their own weakness God transformed into a miraculous strength. Even in changing their names, God put part of his name right in the middle of their name. To symbolically represent, I am with you and that's the difference maker. On on you guys own your Abram and Sarai. Father, at best, father to an illegitimate son and a barren wife. But when I'm in the midst of you, with you, you are Abraham, father of multitudes. And you are Sarah, you are the mother of kings and nations. From their weakness, they became strong. With God in the middle of them. I want to press into this further today and talk specifically about The importance of bringing the weakness of our own identity to God. One of the fundamental human questions that all of us had. All, I mean, this is created in the image of God, and and so it is absolutely universal. You can go to every tongue, tribe, and nation, and in one form or another, it doesn't matter what period of history, what part of the earth, there are no categories that do not apply to the reality that every single human being is asking, who am I? What is my identity? Do I have value, worth, purpose? We are all searching for an identity. And yet we live in a world that can really mess you up in that area. What we're going to see in God's word, just a quick little preview, is that identity is supposed to be free. A good identity is supposed to be something that is freely received because it's freely given by God and or by parents who send you the message that you do not have to work for or earn love. You are born and you are loved. That will change your life. God actually did that in the very beginning of creation and we're going to see that in a moment. But Healthy parents, let's take that because we all know that analogy, will teach kids that they're blessed, loved, cherished, valued before the child does anything. They're just born and loved. I mean, how many, is it, this is an awkward conversation if you're around a parent with a little baby and they're like, oh, don't you love your baby so much? And they're like, eh, nah, I'm kind of waiting for them to do something important. <laughs> Yet, Many adults feel, by the time they're adults, that is the message they got from their parents. Is that they didn't do enough to feel that love, to earn that love. They weren't good enough. They didn't get it right to be valued and accepted. They felt the deficit. I didn't do enough to get that affirmation and love. And so while we can joke and be like, oh yeah, if you say that around a baby, it's crazy, yet, wow, how many adults feel that that was the overall life experience? That's identity right there. If you feel like you have to strive to be loved, your identity is in a bad place. It's not what humans were made for. We are made to just be here, (laughs) and be loved, and that that is meant to be our primary experience of the searching for what is my identity. We're going to see that in God's word today. It's all over the place. What I want to encourage us with today is that as we ponder this idea of weakness, that we, all of us, need to wrestle through weakness in our identity. All of us need to wrestle through areas of weakness in our identity. Jacob did it. You can really find any hero in the Bible. Again, I mean, I could take this same idea and apply it to Abraham and Sarah and and walk through their identity and what God was trying to do. But just continuing to read the Bible, it's amazing. Old Testament, New Testament, you dig in, the Holy Spirit gives revelation. It's the same message the whole way. And this picture of the grace of God that freely bestows an identity that is not deserved is from the very beginning of the Bible. Now, now it's made possible and made more clear and explicit in Christ, and through Christ. And so, yes, we're the lucky ones. But it is there the whole way. But Jacob was not a recipient of a healthy identity. He had it pretty rough from the beginning, actually, and it left a mark, as it always will. Genesis 25, 24 to 28. We'll start there. says, when the time for Rebekah to give birth was here, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, ruddy. His whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means like hairy and ruddy. So there you go. There's your identity. <laughs> After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, you can read right over this. Or you can say, Holy Spirit, get, show me the nuggets here. And this is what I love about the Bible. It's something different every single time. I'd never seen this before. Jacob is a protagonist, all right? He's a hero in the story. He's a main character in Genesis. He becomes Israel after all, right? You ever heard Israel? We all heard Israel. <laughs> Twelve tribes. This, this guy. He's pretty important for the future of God's plan on the earth. And so this is kind of some of his prequel, if you will, in a movie setting. This is some of his backstory. And in the world where identity is passed from father to son via blessing, this tiny little portion of scripture is gigantic. The first word that we hear about Isaac, who is Esau and Jacob's father, the first word we hear about Isaac towards His two sons is, he loved Esau, and Jacob, well, his mom loved him. For a culture in which your identity is given to you by your father blessing you, Jacob lost. I mean, you can... Once you kind of see it, you can even feel it there a little bit in the passage. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. You start to feel it. (laughs) Isaac had a taste for wild game and loved Esau. So he's like, Esau, hunter, man of the open country. He makes me good, Sue. Esau, my man. And then there's Jacob. He liked to stay in the tents with mom. His mom loved him. It's there. There's not a lot of fatherly blessing of positive identity coming his way from the fact, or from his father. And then there's the fact that dad decided to name him Cheater. That's a little rough. The name Jacob literally means cheater, deceiver heel grasper. So maybe at best, he's a heel grasper. At, at, at worst, the first thing his dad says about him is, I don't love you. And Here's your name, cheater. And Jacob lived into it. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. Then he cheated his brother out of his father's final blessing. But one was that story about the stew, and Esau, you know, he's out hunting, and he comes back famished, and Jacob stayed home in the tents and was cooking a little something, and he bartered with him. Esau's like about to die of hunger and thirst, so he said, hey, well, I got a little stew. You sell me your birthright. Give me all your inheritance. Cheats him out of that. Then when his father is old, Isaac, and is about to die, he does this little scheme where he puts on animal cloaks. You guys probably all remember that from some point in Sunday school. He puts on the animal cloak so he's hairy, and he goes in and he cheats his dad. And he cheats his brother, and he takes that fatherly blessing that he never got, that he needed so bad, that he'll cheat for it. But he knew that in a way that ringed hollow, so it didn't fix the need of the soul, and he went on to continue to be that cheater. Esau finds out and wants to kill him. Rebecca, the mom, overhears and tells you know, little, little Jacob, hey, man, you got to get out of here. Your brother's on the hunt for you now. So Jacob runs away for many years, flees all of this. And then God intervenes. This is where the story is just fascinating to think of it through the lens of grace. What has this guy done to deserve ultimately being the namesake of God's people? Nothing. He grew up with the namesake of Satan. I mean, in the book of Revelation, it says that Satan is the great deceiver. It's crazy. And yet God intervenes. That's called grace when God does things that we don't deserve. And God intervenes, and he speaks to Jacob. He says, I want you to go back home, and I'm going to bless you. And so Jacob listens, but he's terrified. Because in his mind, he's running for his life. He's, you know, spent more than a decade, 15 years, gone. The idea of going back is terrifying because he thinks he's going to confront Esau, who was always bigger and stronger and is just going to take him out. But now he's wrestling with this promise of God. says, go back. And I'm going to bless you. And so we can pick up here in Genesis 31-ish, right? Or 32? 32. There's a divine setup from God. Before he's going to be able to face the challenges that await him, which are meeting Esau, but God knows and so much more because his destiny is ultimately to become the namesake of Israel and the 12 tribes. But God knows that before he's going to be able to face any of those challenges, he has got to get his identity secure. The identity comes first. This is a picture from the Bible we're going to see in a moment here. Way back in Genesis, it is absolutely built into the human soul. We see it actually at the baptism of Jesus, which is a beautiful, incredible scene. Y'all remember the phrase that God spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized before he went into ministry. What is God's perspective? Behold, This is my cherished, beloved son that I'm proud of, with whom I'm well pleased. We don't really talk like that. It means I'm proud of this guy. I love him. I'm proud of him. But if you look back on Jesus' life, he hadn't accomplished any ministry yet. All the dues of Jesus' life, that long list of accomplishments and achievements and working hard and doing great things and stepping into a God-given destiny of seeing kingdom advance, which is for all of us. Obviously, we look back at Jesus' life and we're like, man, his list is longer than anybody's else. Wow, God must be so proud of him. That makes sense for God God to love him. And the Bible says, no, that all came first or God's, excuse me, I really messed that one up. The identity came first. The pronouncement at Jesus' baptism was before he had done any of those things, and what is the message of God? You are my beloved child that I'm proud of. And I would argue, based on the entirety of Scripture, that that is meant to be the point. That is meant to be an example of the graciously bestowed identity that we are loved. Uh, Where do we get our identity from? The pronouncement of heaven that says, "By, by grace, you are loved. I am proud of you and I love you. But I haven't done anything yet, God. Yes, that's the point. And that's meant to fill up the soul to then go out and do That's meant to be the power source that makes you alive that now says, man, I want to do something in the world. Not to earn it, but because I'm alive. And I feel it in my bones. Jacob missed that. And so I believe it's a divine setup that God says... Before you can go step into this destiny stuff, it's important, but it's a lot of doing. You need your identity to be secure. And so God sets up this moment for Jacob to wrestle through his identity. Let's look at it. Just kind of quickly summarizing 32. We're gonna pick up in verse 22. We can see where the divine setup begins in verse two where angels appeared and it arrests Jacob where he says, we gotta stop. This is God's camp. What a cool phrase. This is God's camp. God's here. That's good enough for me. I'm stopping. There's the divine setup. Then verse seven But Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the the flocks and the herds into two camps, thinking, well, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. All right, how many of you all know you're in a bad place if you're like, okay, well, uh, most of us are gonna die, so let's just split up into two so less of us die. That's what he's thinking about his brother that's coming for him. And then he prays this prayer that shows that he's beginning to understand the reality of the gracious call of God on his life. Verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I become two camps. So please deliver me from the hand of my brother. There's a cool turning of his heart. That's not the Esau we, or that's not the Jacob we saw growing up, <laughs> completely dependent on his own deceptive ways, manipulative ways to make things happen. And here he's <laughs> turned a corner, where he recognizes, "Hey, anything good in my life has been the steadfast love and faithfulness of God." So I, I, I need you. There's that weakness confession that every hero needs to come to. And then he goes on. He's still scared, though. So he gets all these presents ready for Esau, and he sends out his people in these, like, waves of just presents. Like, maybe I just give him all my stuff. Like, he's either, maybe he's going to kill me and take it, or maybe if I just give a bunch of it, he'll kind of be a little bit nicer. So he sends out his people in these waves of gifts trying to appease him. And here's where it just, wow. Man, identity. Here we go. Verse 22. So he's freaked out. The divine setup is here. He knows he's supposed to stay at this camp for some reason. God's here. He starts sending gifts. He starts prayer. And then he has kind of this deeper soul cry of, in order to wrestle with God, in order to really pursue the identity that I don't have. And he doesn't have that language, but that's, that's the deep cry. I'm going to say what it's about. He sends his family away. And that's, that's where I'm going to say, I'm going to read into it and say he knows he needs to wrestle with God about who he is and who God is. Because he sent everyone else away. That's a good move. Here it is in verse 22. The same night he arose and he took his wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had and Jacob was left alone. It sparks a question. Are there moments in your life where you have sent everything else across the river, so to speak, in order to be alone and wrestle with God about who you are? that sending across the river represents his identity. I mean, back in the day, your identity literally was numbered in your entourage. How many people do you have in your entourage? Wives, children, slaves, goats, cows. It's literally quantifiable. And he says, in a moment of divine awareness, I need to get rid of all of that right now and be alone with God. In other words, if I'm dependent on that, I'm in trouble. There is a deeper identity than what the world is counting right now. And if I never separate my identity from that and push it away and get alone and let God speak, then my identity's in that stuff. So there's this moment of clarity and example that if we're going to find our identity, which ultimately can only come from hearing God speak, which we'll see in a moment, there has to be a willingness on our part to push away for a time, push away everything else that we might depend on for our identity. Because if our identity's in that, it's not ultimately in God, and we're probably in that, that rat race trap of trying to accumulate enough stuff or do enough stuff or be good enough. So for someone's outside approval, we'll f- we feel good enough, we feel loved, we feel acceptable, we feel okay. And God's message is, that's never going to work. Your identity is only gonna be secure when it's been freely received by grace. We'll get there. So a challenge for us, can you be willing to wrestle with yourself and God about where your identity is coming from? Are you trying to earn it, is the simplest way to ask. If you're trying to earn it, there's nothing at the top of the mountain. I heard that phrase from a very interesting Hollywood celebrity that I don't want to go into. But I watched a testimony where this man said he's spent the last 20 years of his life trying to make it in Hollywood. And so few do. Right? I mean, there's thousands and thousands that want to be the next, you know, whoever. So he spent 20 years, you know, grinding and working and striving and clawing and little by little got some successes and then got a big break and got famous and got on the red carpet and got all the accolades and the fame and the notoriety and the money and the relationships and the offers of all sorts of nefarious things. And he had a quote there that was shocking to me. He said he went into the deepest depression of his life right after He got everything he wanted. And he said, because I got to the top of the mountain and found out there's nothing there. And it's a rad story because since then he's become a believer and has started putting out these podcasts about his, his fledgling faith and wrestling through it all. But if we're trying to earn it, sooner or later we are going to encounter the reality there's nothing there. We're made for something better, deeper, more secure, more real. And this is what Jacob asks for. And this is what's where, to me, it gets so interesting. Jacob asks for the blessing. He knows he's a mess. He kind of I like it. He kind of knows he's a hot mess. So he just asks God for the blessing. He's wrestling with this guy. And so let's, let's just read it real quick. Jacob was left alone. This is 32-24. Uh, 30, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Until the break of day, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The request for blessing is the biblical Picture of parental blessing, parental approval, parental love, parental acceptance, and provision. It is exactly what Jacob missed as a kid. But it's deeper than that. The biblical picture in Genesis, and it goes all the way through, of blessing is a figure of the divine parent, which we get really, really clear in the New Testament as God our Father freely giving by grace, approval and love before you've done anything. It's what we looked at in Jesus. This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And the same exact pronunciation is on us in grace. We are in Christ, hidden in Christ. We take on that, that the inheritance of Christ. Because God looks at us and says the same thing. First John 3 1 says he's lavished his love upon us as beloved children. And that is what we are. You are my beloved children, God says. That is the starting point by grace. The starting point of our identity. And it goes way back to Genesis. Let's look at it for a moment. In creation... Of humanity, God said this in Genesis 1, Let us make humanity in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on earth. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. So let's look right at 27 and 28. God decides to create humanity in his own image, male, female. He created them, so he created them. Bam. 127, what's the first thing that God does after creating them or in that moment? What does it say? Verse 28, and God blessed them. God pronounced blessing upon his children, upon their birth, so to speak. What had Adam and Eve done to that point to earn God's love and approval? Nothing. God creates and he blesses because that's who he is. He is that source of agape love. Meaning it flows outward from him. It is spontaneously flowing outward because it's his nature. Not because the receiving object, on the other hand, has done enough to earn it. It's that it's about his nature. And we just literally just get to be blessed. We're blessed to be born, blessed to be created in the image of God. And now you can fast forward and say, yes, a lot happened since then creation, fall, all that awful stuff. But Christ, redemption. So we can look at this and say, that's God's heart. You're created, you're blessed. You haven't done anything yet, you're blessed with a lot. You are blessed to be created in the image of God and be his representatives on earth. So God thinks pretty highly of you before you've done anything. That's called grace. Stop trying to earn it. <laughs> I mean, have we ever thought about that? What did Adam and Eve do to prove that they were worthy to handle such authority? Such opportunity, such responsibility? The answer is nothing. And actually, they screwed it up pretty bad. <laughs> Didn't change that the first thing God did upon creating them is say, blessed. That's parental language. Hey, that's, that's what we see in Genesis. That's fathers taking their children and saying, I am proud of you. I love you. I'm passing on everything I have to you. It's so family. We, 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 we miss it at times. It is just, it is like family love. And that's the language of creation. God created humanity in his very image, like a chip off the old block. And he says, Blessed. It's very parental, grace-based. It's what every child is supposed to feel when they are born. Blessed. You're born blessed, loved, accepted, valued, trusted. And so Jacob is asking for that blessing, that parental blessing from God. Because he knows he didn't get it. But his soul knows he needs it. In the end of this story in Genesis 33:11, after everything's said and done, Jacob summarizes with this. And this is a reflection, a testimony that God answered his prayer for blessing, his whole. Life is now being summarized by this. God has dealt graciously with me. It's always been and always will be and is always about grace when it comes to our identity. That is what God shows Jacob. That is what Jacob comes away believing is the conclusion of all. All of this wrestling with God where he finds his identity. It's grace has touched me. Grace has been with me the whole time. It's always been about God's grace. And in the climactic moment of wrestling that he encounters God and receives this new identity, famously... This is what happens. I will not let you go, Jacob says, verse 26, until you bless me. And God says to him, what is your name? That hurts. In a moment of weakness, in a moment of wrestling, in a moment of like, I'm a hot mess and I'm about to die, there's a deep level here where God is wrestling back and challenges Jacob to expose his weakness. Bring the weakness of his identity before him. Even in the pronunciation of his name, he's telling God, as God says, who are you? What are you all about? That's what names were given. What is your name? And he's got to sit there before God and be like, cheater. That's who I am. Rejected by my father, cheater. It's about the best I got. In that, though, there's the picture that we've got to be willing to bring the weakness of our identity before God so that he can heal, so that he can rename, so that he can renew, so that he can demonstrate his grace, his perspective on you, which is by grace and completely different than the world, which is based on performance. Because while Jacob was still a deceiver and still a cheater and just kind of running for his life, God says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. God blesses him and gives him a new name way before he's earned it. And I want to challenge us to see this as a model, to seek the Lord in the vulnerability of our insecure identities. And wrestle with him long enough. Don't leave until he's blessed you with hearing your name from him. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and I call them by name. So it is not an exaggeration to say the will of Jesus is that every single one of you has had some type of encounter with God where you walk away and you know he has called you by name. And it may be as simple as 1 John 3.1. Where we get to take on the same identity that was spoken about Jesus as a beloved child of God. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And for, the, for everybody, that is enough. Now, God can go further than that sometimes with some specific nuances, and I don't believe that our identity is just simply a one-time thing. He can continue to, on the journey with him, reveal different aspects of the name or names that he has for us, but the bottom line foundation that needs to be enough is what was spoken about Jesus. Beloved son. Beloved daughter. And that's enough. That is enough. Enough. That grace is sufficient for us. That grace is sufficient. If that becomes real, when that becomes real, when we wrestle with God and bring the weaknesses and the insecurities of our identity before Him and feel like we're not good enough, we haven't performed enough, and somehow the Holy Spirit works and we wrestle long enough, we say, I need to be blessed, Lord. And He says, You're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. That is enough. That is his grace, and it is sufficient. There is a deep, that is the deep longing. That is the search for identity. That is what God is doing in Genesis, where it says he creates humanity in his image, and he blesses them. It is this just very personal, intimate, parental experience of you're born and you're loved. Don't make it more complicated. Wake up. You're loved in Christ, in his grace. It's sufficient. Beloved daughter, beloved son. What makes my day worth it? Beloved daughter, beloved son. What if I don't do enough? Beloved daughter, beloved son. His grace is sufficient. I want to show us a quick clip here of a movie that I thought had a profound scene. It's from the movie Dune, interesting little space odyssey. But the father and the son are having a conversation, and it's a lot about identity. The son is wrestling with whether or not he is good enough to follow in his father's footsteps and essentially become kind of like the king of this house. he's having this very honest conversation, almost like a wrestling, a little bit of shame. I don't think I can do it. And then there's this beautiful exchange that shows grace. Your grandfather said, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. And he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. The only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. That is our inheritance in Christ. That is the foundation of our identity. That is where our hope is at. It is not about what we do or what we don't do. or Are we good enough? Have we accomplished enough? Have we worked hard enough? That is the empty pit that will never satisfy. That's the top of the mountain, and there's nothing there. It's this right here. It's that simple weakness I can't do it. I don't have it. My only option is to receive your power, which is you're already loved. My son, my daughter, forgiven, loved, valued, proud of. And we come back to that again and again. This will not be a one time thing. But this is where we have to wrestle through this. It's so countercultural to the broken nature of our sin inside that just says, no, I got to earn it. So countercultural to every message you hear out there. Unfortunately, countercultural to a lot of family scenarios. This is what we've got to wrestle with. To lay down every ounce of trying to earn the love of God and bask in it. Receive it and bask in it. And whether it's you're waking up in the morning and you are putting on the Luke 12, 32 that Jesus says, Fear not, my little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. That is the same exact blessing as Genesis 1, where God created and his first action on humanity is blessed. I bless you as your good heavenly father. I see you. I love you. I created you. I bless you. To wake up and be free of the shackles of I have to earn it, Already loved. God in Christ has already done everything needed so we can receive that gracious identity. Beloved son, beloved daughter, and let that empower us into a life of action. Let's pray. I was singing a song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David.